Well, I'm excited to be here. If this is your first time, welcome. We love you. We're so glad that you're here. And for those of you that it's not your first weekend, I just want to affirm you for your resilience. Like Dustin said, walking into a new room, and I get to be the guinea pig that tries it out. <laughs> um, Aaron, our lead pastor, is not here. Praise the Lord. He is taking a rest. And he reached out to me and he said, please make sure the church knows the church is you, not this building, you. He said, please make sure they know how much I miss them. Uh, and he's praying for us. And praise the Lord, he is taking a break, getting a rest, spending time with the Lord, spending time with some friendships and getting refreshed and renewed, which is so important for all of us. So I want to open us in a word of prayer over our morning and also join me in prayer for our lead pastor this weekend. He will be back next weekend. So join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this church. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to come together and love each other and learn about you and receive the love that you have for us, Lord. And so we are not here for any, anything other than you. And so I ask, Lord, that you will uniquely make yourself known to each and every person in this room um, and that they will just be captivated by your great love for them and the words that you speak to them, that you impress upon their heart today. And we lift up our lead, Pastor Aaron, and we thank you, God, for his loyalty. We thank you for his commitment. We thank you for his heart of love for the people of this church and the people of our city. And so we ask that you will bless an extra measure his rest. God, would you give him vision for what's next in our church? Um, would you give him inspiration? Would you give him joy? Would you give him peace? Um, God, we thank you for him. Would you bless his family? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So let's get into it. I'm excited to share with you what's um, on the agenda for this morning. So we're, we're almost done with our series, Seven Realities of Experiencing God. And Aaron's going to close us out next weekend, and then in two weeks we'll start a new series. And the theme, get excited, this week is obedience. Yay! You're like, okay, so for the parents that brought the kids, like my kids are in the back, it's like a great day to bring kids to church, right? But for the rest of us, how many of us feel like a cringe when we think of obedience? Because we're like, oh, that means somebody's going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Or somebody says obedience, yes! And somebody says obedience, and I'm like, my first thought is, what did I do wrong? So I'm just going to lay it out on the table. We're going we're to talk about that, and we're going to talk about what it actually really means. And so why is obedience important? We're going to start with a scripture. It's up on the slide, Romans 6, 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness living. So I want to just park on that first sentence. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? This is a pretty heavy statement because I think a lot of us don't feel like we're slaves. A lot of us don't feel like we're choosing to obey something or someone. But what the Bible teaches us is that we can either obey God or not. And what falls into the or not category is oftentimes one of three things. We're following ourself in our own wisdom we're following the world, culture, society, what it tells us how to think, or, or just new age thinking that comes from the world, or the devil himself, which is the enemy of God and therefore an enemy of us because God has adopted us into his family and loves us so much. So I was thinking, all right, it's pretty hard to move forward in this message if we don't embrace the fact that we are a slave to what we choose to obey. And I was trying to think, how am I going to illustrate this? And then I realized I'm not going to illustrate it. I'm going to let some dogs illustrate it for you. So we have a fun video. Take a look. 
Hey, Mo. Let me take this out. Come here. Come on. I don't, it's good, right? I don't think I could have made that point any better with my words. And it's funny because we all understand dogs and we can all relate to dogs. I mean, they know what they should be doing, but they just can't help themselves. And how many times do we find ourselves in that same situation where we just can't put the bag of chips down or we can't put the cookies down or we can't stop going to the bottle and put the bottle down or we can't stay away from the pornographic website or we really, really, really don't want to explode in a fit of anger and rage, but we find ourselves doing it again. We become a slave to what we obey, to who and what we obey. And when this word says that if we obey sin or anything that's not, or anything that's not of God, that it results in death, I want to be clear, it does result in a physical death, but also a spiritual death. And in the same way that obeying God um, brings us to life, it is an eternal life, but also life today. We can be spiritually dead. We can be bodies walking around, breathing, working, living, but dead inside. And what that looks like is being overwhelmed with depression and anxiety where there's no hope and there's no joy and there's no peace. And on the flip side, praise God that we have eternal life in him. But praise God also that we can have life today and that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, hope, and joy in the spirit. And God wants us to have life today, which is the fullness of joy and the fullness of hope and the fullness of peace and the fullness of right living in the right relationship with God today. And so that's his promise. Amen? Amen. All right. So I was thinking, why is it so hard to obey God? Because it is. All of us struggle with it. I've struggled with it. Why is it so hard? And, and it became very clear that if our view of who God is is not correct— it's impossible to obey God. And I was thinking, I identified two mindsets that we can have about who God is. And I know these very well because I've lived with these at times in my life. And I just want to say, all of us, I don't want anyone to feel bad, all of us have somewhat of a skewed view at some point in our life about who God is. And that's just because we're born into a broken, fallen, cursed world. And we're exposed to broken relationships, broken thinking, broken ideologies that are the opposite of the Bible. But praise God that we're here because hearing the word of God and hearing the truth is what rewrites who God is. And that hunger to know God, to know the true God, to know his heart is how we ultimately will be able to receive the fullness and understanding of who he is. So one of the thoughts that I think sometimes we fall, we fall into is that God is a genie God. So my daughter's in musical theater and she just performed in Aladdin. And most of us probably, a lot of us know the, the, the Disney story Aladdin. There's a little boy, street boy, he's kind of an orphan and he stumbles upon a, a genie bottle, rubs it and out comes his genie and you can have three wishes. There's some restrictions, um, but this is like dream come true. You know, the idea of having a genie. And you might be thinking, well, I would never put God in the genie box. But oh, we all do. 
and here's what it looks like. It looks like, God, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. I want to be this. I'm going to make a de- I've made a decision that this is what I'm going to do, so bless it. I used to do this. It's a, we're asking God to bless our plans when maybe those aren't his plans for us. And really what it's doing is it's swapping the role of who God is. Because the one that's the slave in the story of Aladdin is not the boy Aladdin. It's the genie. The genie is stuck in this bottle for thousands of years until somebody rubs on him. And he's a slave to fulfill the three wishes of whoever he's a slave to. And you know why that's really scary is it puts Aladdin or the human in the position of God. Of saying, I know what's best for my life. And I'm going to be the one accountable to make those decisions. And that's a scary place to be, my friends, because we have such a limited, finite perspective of life. And it feels like sometimes we understand it very well. But our 30,000-foot view is nothing compared to God's eternal view. And we can understand that when we think about parenting. Uh, Just yesterday, my son was so cute. My car was in, he doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, my car was in the driveway. And he walks by me and he's like, Mom, can I drive the car into the garage? I'm like, no, no, bro, you're seven. <laughs> I, lo- I love you. I can't wait to teach you how to drive <laughs> when you're 15 or 16. <laughs> but it's, I have a different perspective than he does, right? And so we understand that. And I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like God has a good intention for us because we don't understand But we're going to kind of unpack how do we get to that point where we can trust God better. So God is a genie God. Scary place to be. Another another, uh, improper mindset of who God is is that God is a condemning God. And this one, you guys, this one just like sets my heart on fire because it's the favorite lie of the devil. The devil is the enemy of God because God has condemned the devil. And he's become our enemy because God has given us grace and saved us and gives us life and loves us. And the devil wants to go down, take in whoever. He knows that his days are numbered. Let me just say this out loud, that he has been defeated. And Jesus' victory is eternal and forever. And the battle is done. And there's a day when Jesus is coming back and he's going to make the earth new and he's going to lock up the devil forever and ever. And and he knows, the devil knows that he's defeated and and his days are numbered. So he's going down in condemnation. He's trying to grab as many people as possible. And so he loves to tell us that God's going to condemn us to keep us from God. And you know what? I lived 10 years of my life in bondage because of this lie. I was a believer. I was going to church. But I delayed my own healing and my own pursuit of developing who I am and the receiving the fullness of joy and rest and delight and peace of God and, and living my calling that God gave me. For 10 years, because this lie that what I did was so bad that maybe God will forgive me in theory, but he won't ever love me the same. And I hate this lie because it couldn't be farther from the truth. And you all have heard it. You've heard your friends say, oh, I could never go to church. If I set foot in a church, the building would get set on fire. How many of you have heard people say that? Yeah. It's something we all struggle with. And let me just, I want to read the scripture from Romans 1. It's 1 and 3. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
God sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So let's just break this down in one minute. There's no condemnation. It's just really clear. There's no, God did not come to condemn. He came came to give life and break the power that sin has over our life. So we started off by saying, if we were a slave to sin, which leads to death, and how many of us find us like the dog with a sneaker sniffing addiction or a, um, what was the thing he got stuck around his nose? The slinky thing, you know, we find ourselves like we can't stop doing the things we don't want to do. And Jesus is saying, I broke that. I came to earth to break that power that's over your life. Amen? And he's saying, there's nothing that you did to earn this. This is what I did. And for those, those of us that feel that our sin is too great for God, please, please hear me. He runs close to our sin. He actually carried our sin on the cross. And I don't think that we fully understand the side of heaven, the weight of the cross. We know it was physical torture, but it also had a spiritual weight to it because he carried the sins of the world. And not only when he walked the earth did people, sinners, they, they, didn't, they didn't blow up, they didn't get set on fire, but he actually went to them. He's not afraid of your sin. He went to hell and back to set us free. This is the message of grace. It's a free gift There is nothing in the message of grace that is condemning at all. Amen? For some of us, this clicks, and and it's great, and it's breaking right now. I I believe that. And for others of us, it's a process, and that's okay. Because it's sometimes God God heals us and restores us in different ways. And I just want to encourage you. If you're here and you're like, okay, yeah, that sounds great, but I'm not totally there, please come tell us. We have a prayer team. Um, We want to pray with you. We want to connect with you. Growing in the belief and growing our faith and going through this journey of restoration is meant to be done in community. Trust me, when we we invite you to come pray and we invite you to hang out on the patio and we invite you to do Rooted and do these small groups, we're not trying to build a cult here. (laughs) We're not trying to get you involved because we think if you come in on a Wednesday night, you're going to give more money to the church. No, this wasn't our idea. It's God's idea. God created community because he loves community and he loves relationship. And there is more healing and more growth and more understanding of who God is when we are involved in community. Amen? All right. So if God is not a genie God, if God is not a condemning God, then what kind of God is he? He is a God that is focused on relationship. So your first fill-in is he's a relationship-centered God who is for us. Relationship-centered God who is for us. And what that means is, actually, I'm going to read you a scripture that God gave me this morning because he's just so good like that. So I, had to, I brought my Bible because it wasn't in my notes because I literally got it this morning. John 15, 14. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you my servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. So he's saying he's not the kind of parent that says, do this. Why? Because I told you so. The definition of obedience in our dictionary says compliance with a rule or order. That sounds very robotic to me compliance but 
I had so much fun looking up the definition of the original Greek word used in, in the Bible for obedience. And there's a lot of different words that are used. Obey, obedience, and in, the, we have different translations. The Bible is translated in, with using different words. And sometimes some of those original Greek words are translated into obey, and sometimes they're translated into listen. And as I was looking and I was reading about these definitions, it means to listen intellectually. It means to understand, it means to believe, and it means to trust. And the original Greek word for disobedience actually means unbelieving. So you see, God's not saying be a robot. God's saying, I am your friend because I will tell you the secrets and the mysteries of Christ, which is God's great love for us. And yes, sometimes he calls us to do things blindly by faith. Sometimes he'll call us to do something and it'll feel like compliance, and that's okay, because that's a step of faith to say, I don't understand it, but I trust you anyways. But generally speaking, God does not hold back wisdom. He does not hold back. He loves revealing who he is. So he says, I'm not even going to call you a slave, because a slave doesn't have relationship with a master. A master doesn't have intimate conversations with a slave. A master's not transparent about his heart with a slave. He just tells him what to do, and he does it. No, no, I'm your friend. I, I, des- I died because I want intimate conversations with you. That was the joy that I had in, in paying the price for you. He loves relationship. He's a relationship-centered God who is for us. So God's intention, the next slide, for us and why he asks us to be obedient. If there's two things that you remember from this morning, it's the next two fill-ins. And my hope and my prayer has been for the last few days that it's not something that we remember here, but it's something that is deep within our heart and our spirit and our soul. And if that's something that you desire, my uh, encouragement would be to meditate on the, on the scriptures that I'm going to reference. When we meditate on the word of God, it's like our soul eats it and digests it, and then it becomes a part of who we are. So the first fill-in on the next slide is God wants you to live. He wants you to live and not just live forever praise god for that but live today in the fullness of joy and peace and hope this comes from the scripture john 10 10 and that is that the enemy comes to steal kill and destroy but jesus came to bring life and bring life to the fullest to bring life abundantly and this is the scripture that our church vision is founded upon it's a beautiful scripture god wants you to live okay And in light of these truths about who God is, it becomes a lot easier to trust him. It becomes a lot easier then to follow and obey. The next fill-in is that God is for me. Romans 8, 31. God is, can you just say that out loud? God is for me. And God wants me to live. Amen. Romans 8, 31. If God is for me, who could be against me? You guys, think about, think about this for a minute. If God, the one who spoke and the universe came to be, the one who spoke and birthed the sun, the one who spoke and filled up the ocean with so much wildlife that we haven't even fully discovered all of it yet, the one who spoke and the mountains rose, the one who breathed into the little cells inside the mother, your mother's womb and created you with a heart and passion and dreams and imagination and feelings. If that one is for you, what does it matter who's against you? I promise there are beings against you, but it doesn't matter 
because God is for you, and nothing can separate you and me from the love of God. It's good news. God is for us. That's good stuff. All right. There's three things. We're going to kind of move into our next section. There's three things that we can do that hold us back from the fullness of life. Because the promise is obedience, following, listening, obeying, leads us to life. We learn that we can, when we have the right view of who God is, and when we can grow to believe and trust that God is, wants us to live and that God is for us, that we can start taking steps towards, okay, I trust you. I trust you. And even though I don't understand, I trust you. Just like a child trusts a parent and complies when they're told they can't drive my car at seven years old. <laughs> so three things. And again, I identify these three, three things because I've, I've lived them and God has corrected me in his word. And a couple of these he's corrected me pretty recently. So I'm very familiar with this. So on your slide, there's different bullets. And what I did is I identified a prohibitor and a promise and an antidote. So the prohibitor is something that's in our thoughts. That It's like we prohibit ourselves from experiencing the fullness of life. And we prohibit ourselves from following and obeying God. And uh, so the first one that I identified is stubbornness. Is anyone like right off the bat, they're like, yeah, that's me. Um, the promise, the promise that God gives us is from Psalms 32. So there's always a promise. Because remember, God is not the God who says, just do this because I told you to do it. He's not just, you know, caring about compliance. He wants you to intellectually listen. He wants you to understand. Quick story on that. When I was on a play date with my kids really little, I would say, listen. I'd always say, listen, listen, listen. And then I'm with my girlfriend, who's much more holy than I am. And she gets down in front of her kids, and she's like, listen and obey. And I'm like, ooh, that's so good. I better start telling my kids to listen and obey. Um, and that's exactly what the Bible says. Listen, intellectually, understand it, believe me, see it how I see it, and follow. So stubbornness, the scripture. Am I going too fast? Okay. You guys must have had lots of coffee this morning because I'm excited about this. <laughs> okay, Psalm 32.8 should be up on the screen. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. All right. I don't, I don't do horses. I think they're beautiful. I don't know anything about them. However, I did Google bit and, and bridle, and I became very familiar with what that is. God's promise is that he will guide us along the best pathway for life, that he will advise us and he will watch over us. And you know what I love about this text? He doesn't say, I want to guide you. I want to advise you. Would you please let me? No, no. He says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, and I will advise you, and I will watch over you. But he's also giving a warning. He's like, don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So forgive me if you're a horse person and I mess this up, but I think I understand it enough to prove the point. The bit and the bridle is something that is in the horse's mouth that if they're out of control or they're going the wrong way, the horse rider can pull them into, into submission. And apparently, if the horse fights it and puts its head up, it puts a ton of pressure on the roof of their mouth, and it's very uncomfortable. But the, the desired position is for the horse to bend its head, which is a position of submission. And how many times have we all experienced this, where our stubbornness 
creates a much more difficult situation. Where there's something we know we're meant to do. Like one example, somebody's wronged us. The Bible tells us to go to that person and talk about it to them. What if we make a choice to gossip over here? And then it turns into a really big thing. And then it gets back to that person and now tons of people are hurt. And now it's blown up into a much bigger problem. What about a time where you feel like something is supposed to end? You're supposed to walk away from a job or you're supposed to end a relationship and you know it's the right thing to do, but you don't. And then you kind of drag it on and on and then something really bad happens and then you, it ends up ending on a really bad note. Has anyone ever experienced that? God is saying, I will guide you and I will show you and I will advise you and I will watch you, but, but just go with me and, and listen as I tell you because if not, it might hurt. Because we might have to pull the bit in the brittle to get you back on track. And that's going to be painful, and I don't want it to be painful. Amen? All right. Another one that holds us back from obedience is a bad attitude. And this is one, a couple months ago, that became real in my life. And um, the scripture is from Isaiah 1, 19. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. And I read this verse, and I watched a devotional on it, and the Holy Spirit just was, like, so speaking to me about it. The promise is to eat the good things in the land. This is for an abundant life. This is for, this is for fruit in our life. This is for prosperity. This is for joy. This is for good relationships. This is for peace. This is for all that God wants us to live in today. And it doesn't say if you're obedient, you will eat the good things in the land. It says if you're willing and obedient. So what does willing mean? Willing actually means submitted, surrendered. And it requires a good attitude. And I realized how many times, for me, I can do what God's asked me to do, but I'll do it with a bad attitude. Some things the Lord asked me to do, and I just do right away. Other things I wrestle with, I'm like, oh, really, Lord? I don't want to. And I wrestle, do the wrestling, but then I'll come around and I'll do it. But I want to have a good attitude about it. Because my mindset might be, but I don't want to be here, and why is this taking so long, and why does it have to be so burdensome, and, and why, and I know that this is where you have me, so I guess I'm just, I, okay, and I'm not content with where God has me. Who can relate to that? And yet I think about my children, and if I ask them to bring their plate to the sink after dinner, and they do it, but they complain the whole time, it doesn't make me feel good. But if they do it with a good attitude, it feels great as a parent, Right? And the promise from God is not that the obedient will eat the good things in the land, but that the obedient and the willing. And as I was diving in to prepare this message, and I kept seeing the definition of obey, is, is consent, it's submission, it's agreement. This is part of obedience, is saying, I trust you enough that even though I'm not just going to do it, but I'm going to choose to be content with where I'm at, because I'm going to trust that in your eternal perspective, which is bigger than my 30,000 foot view that you see and understand things differently than me. And let me just tell you, for me personally, when, and I know this is something that we all struggle with, but when I put my thoughts in alignment, when I decided to be content, when I decided to move forward with where God had me, not just in actions, but with a good attitude, the joy that has filled my life since then, you guys, it's the, that's where the contentment has come from. It's because the joy is so overwhelming that I no longer see what my lack is. And there's still prayer requests that I'm praying for that are real, that I trust God with. But that insatiable need and why don't I have it and I just want it and I'm fighting where God has me is gone. And so the antidote is thanksgiving. The antidote is thanksgiving. 
it, it, we can't manufacture contentment. That's just impossible. I think we've all tried. But we can give thanks. And there is a powerful thing that happens supernaturally in the spirit when we give thanks. It's like, I can't even explain it. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like our heart opens and all of a sudden we see how much we have and we understand the goodness of God and, and all of our desires come into alignment with God's desires. And you know what? When we are obedient and willing, we eat the good fruit of the land and things in our life become beautiful. And the pursuit is no longer about what we think we want because God knows and God's got that. And I don't even want that if it's not God's best and God's best is going to be on his timing. But I just, we just get to live in delight of who God is. Thanksgiving is the antidote for a bad attitude, and it is the most beautiful gift. It is free, and it's the most beautiful gift and the most beautiful way to bring joy into our life. Third thing that can hold us back is unbelief. Unbelief. The promise of God from Matthew 24, 25, up on the screen Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. All right. How many of us know about storms coming in life? Probably all of us, right? Jesus promises to be our foundation. So in, so in this promise, he likens the person who listens and follows. So it's like the mom that was much more holy than me, listen and obey. He says, the one who listens and obeys me is like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And now a house is almost all the time metaphoric for us and who we are, our soul, our being. He's saying, your soul, your life, is going to be founded on solid rock. We sing the song Cornerstone. Jesus is likens himself to a cornerstone. A cornerstone, I'm not an architect, but hear me out. A cornerstone is a foundational stone that holds together two walls. So it's on the corners, and it essentially holds up the whole building. It is the foundation. When that is solid and strong cornerstone, the building is going to withstand disaster. So it's not in how the top of the building is built. It's in the foundation. We've all seen pictures of, like, Homes that get leveled, but yet the fireplace is still there, right? Or we've seen some devastation where certain homes stay and certain homes don't. So when the storms of life come, Jesus says, when you make me the foundation, how do we do that? What does that look like? It looks like building our life on the promises of God. It looks like listening, being in, our word, being in the word, being in groups, being in community, learning what does God say? obeying those, deciding, I'm going to believe that this is true. I'm going to believe that God wants me to live <laughs> and that God is for me. I'm going to believe that God wants me to live and that God is for me. And so in light of those two truths that God wants me to live and God is for me, then I can believe that the, the truth, everything in the Bible is true. And I'm going to live my life in light of that. I'm going to put all my chips into the basket called the Bible. And I'm going to live in this way, and I'm going to commit my ways. This is how, this is a step in the direction to making our life built on the foundation of Christ. And the promise, it's a good promise, because we've all had storms. And if some of us are in a storm right now, and those of us that aren't, it's coming. The way, it is. 
Amen. The waves, the wind, the hail, the sleet, the snow, the flood, tidal wave, it's all coming. And that's a promise that it's going to come. But do we want to be the life and the soul that is still standing? That the storm doesn't take out? Of course we do. And that is a promise of God for those who listen and obey. Can't think of anything better. So the prohibitor with that is unbelief. Unbelief would hold us back from living our life in complete obedience to God. The promise is that our life will be built on a firm foundation and we will withstand the storms of life. It's a good promise. And the antidote for, for growing faith is reading God's word. It's simple. Faith grows by hearing the word of God. You're here today. You're hearing the word of God. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. Go, please go to the prayer wall. We have Bibles we can give you. If you have questions, come find me or any of our leaders out there. Get, in, get involved in a group. Saturate. When we saturate ourselves in the word of God, we grow in faith. It's good stuff. All right, so I, not yet, but just keep those three things, the stubbornness, the bad attitude, the unbelief. Just kind of keep those in your back pocket because I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something with that. It's private. Don't worry. Don't get, don't, nobody's going to be sharing anything. Not today. Uh, but the promise is that God will guide us that we'll eat the good things in the land, and that we will be built on a firm foundation with, and withstand the storms. So, why do we obey? We obey not, out of, not because of compliance. Obedience is compliance. But we, we don't obey because of compliance. We obey because of love because of God's great love for us. Ephesians 2, I pulled verse 1, 4, and 8. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. It's the message of grace. And if any of us haven't believed, then we want to pray with you in that. Can believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we want to follow him. And, and repentance is a turning away of the sin, saying, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to make you a genie, God. I don't want to believe that you're condemning. I don't want to follow myself. I don't want to follow the world. I don't want to follow evil. I want to follow you. I want you to be my God. And I would love to pray with you and lead you in that prayer after service. I'll be here. And we have an amazing prayer team. They would love to pray with you as well. It doesn't matter who, who you come to, but we just we want to be there with you. We want to walk with you. So the title of this message is God's Love Language. So this is where, where we're going to end it uh, in just a minute here. Love language, some of us know that phrase. And it is the idea that we, as beings, receive and give love in different ways. And so the best way to have a fruitful relationship, any kind of relationship, is to understand how we give and receive love and how the person that we care about gives and receives love so that we can love them in the way that they best like to receive love. Does that make sense? So what's God's love language? 
because God has given us everything. There's nothing, there's nothing we've talked about that we've, that we've given to God. What can we give to God? But our obedience, our submission, our consent. We can't please God without faith, the Bible tells us. And faith and trust are a critical part of obedience. We can't obey because of compliance. We can obey when there's trust and there's faith. And we can grow in trust and faith by reading the word and doing what you're doing, being involved in community. God's love language is obedience. It's the way that we love him back for the gifts that he's given us, for the life that he has for us. And it's an unfair trade, you guys. It's unfair on our side because the promise is when you love me back, when you trust me, when you put your faith in me and your decisions and you listen and you follow and you obey, I give you life. I give you the fullness of joy and the fullness of hope and the fullness of peace and I make you right with me and I make my home with you in your heart and we commune together. We are in perfect relationship. There's nothing separating us. That's eternal life is knowing Christ Jesus and that eternal life starts now. It is an unfair trade and it is the most beautiful gift. I want to leave you with the scripture, John 14, 23, 24, should be up on the screen. Jesus said, Jesus replied, all who love me will do as I say. See, it says love language. If you love me, you'll do as I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. I just, I just feel the Holy Spirit putting something on my heart. I don't want anyone to look back. I don't want anyone in this moment to sit there and think, oh, I must not love God because I haven't obeyed. Don't look back. It starts right now. It starts right now. And sometimes it's a choice. I want that fullness of life. I want to know you, God. I, want, I don't know how to obey you, but I want to. And you know what? God honors that. And we are here to walk with you in that. It starts today and moving forward. So I want to leave you with the reflection to think about those three things, those three prohibitors and those three promises. I think we all struggle with all of them to some degree, but which one is really speaking to you today? It's either one of the prohibitors that you're like, oh gosh, that's definitely me. Or maybe it's a promise that you're like so hungry for. So just take a minute, identify what it is, just you and the Lord and pray about it and tell the Lord. It's a confession if it's a prohibitor. I'm sorry for my stubbornness. I don't want that. Lord, I want this promise. Speak it out in your life and declare that that promise is for you because God wants you to live and God is. Yay. All right. Enjoy your time with the Lord and then we will, we will worship together.